Morning. morning. Happy August. August 6th. Praise God for the cooler weather. You guys enjoying that? Yesterday and today, the rain. Yeah. Pretty nice. We we have some August birthdays we're going to celebrate. So we've got Steve. Steve's birthday on the 17th. And uh, Emily's birthday on the 31st. So happy birthday, Steve and Emily. And Steve, what kind of cake is that? Uh, chocolate turtle cake. Chocolate turtle cake. Did you take the shells off first? <laughs> All right. Good. And I think there's even ice cream back there to go with it. So this is not health food uh, breakfast, but that's okay. Yes, we are not about the health food here. Well, also, uh, we've got lots of people going back to school this week, or at least getting ready for it. So, how's that going, teachers? You start Thursday? Justice Tywa. Classes start Thursday? Wow. What about Claremore? Okay. Yeah, excited? Yeah? All right. Right, 33 ACT Davy. Good job. Scholarships coming. That's right. All right, so we're going to pray for back to school and for the teachers and students. Anything else I'm missing? All right. Father, thank you for this rain that we've gotten that's cooled things down and watered our plants and ground, and uh, just thank you for bringing that here, and uh, thanks for the change in seasons, and we can look forward to fall coming up, and and uh, just, it's never, uh, never the same, and I just appreciate you building that in and that we can enjoy that, and uh those seasons bring back to school, and we just uh, pray for the teachers and the students who are preparing, and the parents, preparing for back to school and um, the exciting things and the challenging things that that brings. I just pray that everybody would be ready for that. You'd uh, you'd help the teachers get their classrooms and schedules and uh, lesson plan- plans ready, and there's so much to be prepared for. I just pray that you would help them as they go about that for all the those who are in support roles in schools um, who are helping the teachers get ready and getting everything else in the school. There's so much that goes on in a school. I just pray that you would you would uh, help all that to, to be ready, and uh, for the students to uh, be looking forward to a new year of learning new things and 
participating in new activities and for parents um, a relief I guess of having kids home in the summer but uh, also the challenges of that school can bring of busyness and activities father in the midst of all this it's easy to forget to keep our eyes on you and uh, I just pray that you would be at the center of all this new stuff that starts up in the fall with school and um, father for those of us who aren't directly involved in school I just pray that you would uh, help us to be encouragers and um, to be looking for ways to support those who are going back to school father I pray for um, those in our midst and our congregation this morning who aren't able to be with us for various reasons I just pray that um, they would uh, be connected to us through your spirit and uh, I pray for healing for those who are ill and uh, I pray for your service this morning this service to be your service for you to be present here with us thanks for bringing everybody together at Grace Bible Church that you've brought together and I pray that you would be glorified here as he sings in your son's name. Amen.
pray for blessings. We pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. All the while you hear each spoken need, yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. 'Cause what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing? Storm. 
Behold the Lamb who bears our sins away, slain for us. And we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross. So we share.
therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition, so you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's our time again to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So we gather together for this special time uh, on the first Sunday of the month. And uh, it is a great time to remember all that God has done, who he is, and what we're doing here. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 2. This is... As the church, the early church is beginning, Christ has died on the cross, he's resurrected, he's ascended into heaven, and at this point the church has started. So they are gathering together, and we have summary statements, a number of them in Acts chapter 2, which helps helps us kind of uh, get a feel for what they were holding on to, the truths that they were holding on to, and what God was doing with them. So, starting with verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Uh, They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Acts chapter 2. There is a, a power in this. There is a remembering what Christ has done on the cross and his death, what it means to come together. The unity that Jesus prays for in John 17 happens in and around him. It is as we gather, understand who he is, and then gather together in his name. And we can have differences and different styles of doing things, but as believers in Christ, we're coming together in and around him. That's the unity. So this is our chance to remember him and all the things that he does and the possibilities that exist because of a connection with this 
particular being who created all things, who was willing out of love to come and be part of our world as a human being to die on the cross, pay the penalty for sin, and to make things different. He's invited us to be part of that. That is because he wanted to bring in light. He wants more people in his family. He wants to get rid of the darkness. So we are uh, coming together to celebrate and remember him. The uh, Verse 43, this, this statement, a deep sense of awe came over them all. And you go, wow. Deep sense of awe came over them all. Those are spelled differently, by the way. There is something to that. It's sometimes easy to go to a church service and things like this are just in passing, something you do. Uh, No different than any other day, just another Sunday. This time we get a little dry cracker and a juice. But they had awe, A-W-E, because we were dealing with an awesome God who wants to take us higher and into a better life, to be better, to be better people, to experience something more. So if you would, uh, we're going to take our chalice and open the end with the unleavened bread. Remove that. And we will, as the Lord told his friends, Take and eat. We are blessed indeed, Lord, to know you, to know the truth, to experience the the life that you can bring that alters everything, the way we think, the way we deal with life, uh, life's tragedies, uh, life's blessings. You are there uh, with us through it all. And we thank you for it. Amen. Take the other end. Peel that one back. And there inside is the the juice representing the blood of Christ, which was shed for you. It's the blood that takes away the sin that builds this relationship or provides a way for us to have that relationship with God. So take and drink. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Lord, removing that barrier so that we can come into the family. Thank you for the hope that we have in you that changes everything. I pray, Lord, we would have a deep sense of awe right here today. Amen. I want to tell you that Teresa shared with me a few moments ago, a 19-year-old family member committed suicide on Friday, and her family is uh, hurting deeply. So, Teresa, we want to pray for your family, for you, for the for the rest of them. So will you join me? Father, we don't know this young man, but we know that he was troubled, he was hurting, and that taking his own life, he is uh, uh, just 
cut himself off from everything here. Uh, I pray for peace for those who are hurting and suffering and questioning and wondering and just trying to put pieces of life back together. For Teresa, the family, uh, for all of them. And there's just uh, so many unanswered questions. But we know that, Lord, you can meet them where they are and that they might come to a place of awe as well in the things that you do in helping people through such tough, tough times. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.
It's been so long since I was up here. We'll try this again. We are still uh, going through the series of walking with God in the world. So, peripateo, the Greek word, we're walking with God. We're going to look at different aspects of how that works. And uh, the focus is on uh, ethics. So, the mystery of moral mountain, you will see how that fits in just a minute. But let me give you, school's going to start. So, we're at the beginning of, of that season. And this occurred to me. I, I had been um, in Germany for a while, like uh, around three and a half years. I came back, and I go to Oklahoma State University, and it's the beginning of school. You have to check into a dorm. You have to go get your books, which is you know part of the deal. Back in those days, you actually had to, you can't order them from Amazon or from other sources. There was a campus bookstore. You go to the campus bookstore, it's long lines, and and they have little cards, and it says, this is the number, this is the book. You know, you have your little class list, and you go through. And I'm in a crowd, and they're all speaking English, and I haven't really been in a crowd that did that in a while because they were speaking German in the crowds that I was in. When I was in the Army, there I had the English part, but when I was... Uh, then I lived on the economy for a while, so that that was a whole different world. So I'm back in crowds, speaking just different, and I'm older. Uh, Rachel just got a, a rental house, and the guy she's renting from asked her if she knew me, and she said yes. And it turns out this guy knew me from the dorm at Oklahoma State, so... <laughs> That's all he said, right? That was. <laughs> so I'm back from the army, back from Germany, and you know, and they're 18 years old, so I looked ancient to them. And I'm I'm also a freshman. Yeah. So my sister is also a freshman. She's five years younger, and she's in the other end of the dorm. And we're going, wow. So she's got uh, classes that she has to take, and when you're a freshman, you take the U.S. history, U.S. history, either pre-1865 or after 1865, and you got you know get the right book. So I go through my list. I'm in the thing. I go through all the lines. I get all the stuff, and I get back to the dorm, carrying this load, and I start going through the books, and I go, I got the wrong 1865 here, and I remembered that Pam, my sister, was headed out with her friend, and they were going to go to the bookstore and get their books. And I knew they had the other end of this thing, or that her friend did. So I, I asked the Lord, I said, just have her pick up the wrong one, and we'll swap later when, when they get back. So they get back. I call them uh, a little bit later, giving them time to get through that massive mess over there. And I said, can, can you check and see if she, you know, check the book that she's got. I think she's got the wrong one for her class. And Pam says, what? No, we checked. We, looked, we got the right, you know, we did the thing. We read the list. She checked and goes, nope, she has the wrong one. Or I have to go back and go, no, I'll just meet you halfway. And I've got the wrong one. We'll just swap. You know, so it's one of those moments. And you go, man, it's just weird, isn't it? that God himself would care 
if you got the right book. I really didn't want to go through that line again because you have to go through the return line, then get back. Oh, it's a great system. Fortunately, those things have kind of let up a little bit. But God is looking out for us. He's watching us. He knows who we are. He knows where we are. He knows what we need. And he also listens to things even like a textbook if you pick up the wrong one. And he can have somebody go pick up the right one just so you get it all straightened out. What difference does that make? It's immense. Because we are going to talk about some things that are everyday things. Some of them are so huge, they affect nations. And it all comes down to what does God, what is God doing? How is God at work? How does God lead? How does, does he really care? Maybe that's uh, part of that. So the mystery of moral mountain. What's right? What's right? Uh, you run into that all the time. Uh, you got to choose uh, how you're going to respond to someone, how you're going to handle uh, your time, how you're going to handle your money, how you're going to handle relationships, how you're going to handle the day. What's right? Where do you go to come up with some of the moral responses to the world? And how, how does the world respond to that question of what's right? And there are, I'm going to give you two ends on this particular thing. Um, one is moral relativism. So relativism is whatever situation may arise, any kind of uh, uh, difficulty, the response to uh, uh, a relationship issue or um, problems that you may have in, in, uh, in work. Uh, how do you handle a situation? How do you handle your response? Do you, do you come back at somebody in anger? Do you use words that rip their hearts out? Do you find, you know, well, it's all relative. You know, it's, it's relative on how do they treat me. It's, it depends on the situation. It depends on if I'm hungry. It depends on, and we just come up with all kinds of stuff. So the, being relative. And so we fill that in. And we're really good at that. Really good at excuses. And if you aren't, the people around you are. Somebody's good at this. Relativism. The other is moral absolutism. That is fixed. Here are the ways that you respond or the ways that you deal with uh, what's right. And there are laws, there are principles, there are things that God has said. What, it could just be whatever, but they are set in stone. They are concrete. They are unmovable. These are moral absolutes. So those are two ends. Uh, views. Let's look at that. So to put this in a biblical language kind of a thing, we got legalist. So the legalist, if you're going to have a relationship with God, the idea is that you are keeping all of the rules, all the laws that God has handed down. So whatever those are, and uh, 
you know, that would, that would fit with the Pharisees, the idea of a Pharisee or, or common idea of, of Phariseeism. And the opposite of that is antinomian. So you go, well, I'll never be, I'll never be a Pharisee. That's just horrible. I'm a legalist. Well, the other end of that is like, I'm opposed to laws. I don't want anything telling me what to do. Who are you to tell me? Who is, who is God to tell me? No one has a right to tell me what to do. So antinomian, opposed to law. So one's a legalist, one's antinomian, one's a relativist, one's an absolutist, and we, we have this spectrum. So let's look at legalism on steroids. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus, this is his great Sermon on the Mount. And he says, I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Anybody bothered yet? Unless your righteousness, your moral status has to be better. And you know how extreme these guys are. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So if you read that as an absolutist or a legalist, this thing is amped up. That's basically why legalism on steroids. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the quality. He's not talking about this absolutism uh, idea that so many come up with because it's safer to have a list of rules and say, here are all the categories, and I don't have to engage. I just follow these, and God is now going to grant me status, his blessings. We come up with a number of things that go with that. But the righteousness that he's talking about is a righteousness of faith. It's a righteousness of a relationship. It's, a right, it's being right. Righteousness just means being right. So it's being right with God, being right with people, being right. What are we told? And let's see, Jesus says, here's something important. Love God with all your heart, mind, and all your strength. How about that? That'd be right. Love other people. That, that'd be right. So there's, there's a righteousness. Well, what do you do with some of these other situations that you can run into? Which uh, can be things like, did you wash your hands before you ate? Remember Jesus and his disciples run into that in the Gospels. Well, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat. The idea is, and at that particular time, the Pharisees, some of the legalists, had taken something that was actually meant for the priests and decided to apply it to everybody and say, here's a ritual cleansing way that you wash your hands. Doesn't mean they didn't wash their hands. They just may have gone up there and washed their hands, but they didn't do that. Well, there's, I'm doing that because you've got to do this. You've got to drip it off the elbows. There's a process. 
They weren't doing the process. Well, obviously, there's a problem because that's the rule. Where did that rule come from? Somebody decided to add it later, wasn't part of the original scripture, wasn't part of the original intent. Does that have anything to do with loving God, loving people? No, it has to do with keeping those rules. That's the legalist idea and pleasing the crowd around them. So that's, that was part of the thing Jesus is dealing with. Your righteousness has to be better than theirs. Was he down on the Pharisees for keeping the law and, and doing things right? Absolutely not. He's like, nah, that part's good. Did they go too far in other areas? Yeah, and you read about that a lot. So he's addressing those things, and he's going, nope, we're not, we're not going there. We have um, a righteousness based on faith, right relationships, based on love, and a desire to do the right thing. That's the righteousness that goes far beyond the Pharisees, beyond the legalist. That's what he's calling us to do, and that's how you enter into the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven we enter into now. That's not like, oh, you get saved and that's how you get to heaven later. He's talking about that's the life you can live right here, right now, because the power of God comes, his presence enters in, and you can live that life today. That's what he's offering. So where do we go? If we can't be a moral relativist or absolutist, what do we have? Here's the moral mountain. The moral mountain is hierarchicalism. Hierarchicalism. That one's hard to say. But it has to do with, okay, so what's higher? What's greater? What's more? What's the precedent here? What's the priority? Where, Where do we go? So that's the hierarchy. And that's the moral mountain. So with this, we have God first. We our, our priority is to... To seek him with all our hearts, to love him with all that we are, and that becomes the highest highest good, the highest thing we can do, the highest possibility, and the, and the best thing we can do for those around us and the world we live in. God first, God's way over any other, and he's given us scripture, he's given us uh, guidance on how to face different situations and, and r- relational things and understanding the world that we live in. So uh, God's way over any other. God's purposes and, and principles. His purposes and principles are supreme. And that's, that's just hard. I mean, I can say those things and you get it because we're in church and you think, okay, that's, you know, those are um, ancient concepts, ancient words. Got it. Good. We're, we're rolling. So, let's, Jewish Holocaust, let's think about that. So, during the war, uh, during the time of Hitler's running of Germany, we have a situation where the Jewish people are blamed for all the ills that existed for the German people. And they decided the best way to handle that was to take them out. So they're gathering them up, and they're putting them in concentration camps. They're killing them. They're stealing their stuff. All these things are going on. And 
the question is, what is right? The Ten Boone family in Holland decides that it would be right to violate the law and to protect Jewish people, to hide them, to lie to the German officials, to gather food and feed these people who they know if they violate this law that they can be imprisoned, that they, they can lose their rights, they, that they can even be killed. So what's right? What do you do when it may impose on your comfort, may threaten your life? Do you, because a moral absolutist says, thou shalt not lie. Absolutely never lie. Hmm. A relativist would say, doesn't matter what the laws are, doesn't matter. But really, uh, look out for yourself. You wind up getting thrown in jail, that's really uncomfortable. You don't want to go to a concentration camp, so don't aggravate the Nazis. Okay, what's right? If you follow the hierarchy, God, God's ways, God's purposes and principles, and you love somebody, and you go, you know what? These people have done nothing wrong. These laws are wrong. These principles that have been brought into our country about these people, it's wrong. So I'm going to risk everything, all of my family, young and old, to protect another group, another family or families at whatever cost that was the higher that's the hierarchy that's the moral mountain to choose to do the right thing even when it's tough to violate that law to violate that rule to violate those principles given by the Nazis and Nazis are easy to pick on just because everybody knows how oh, those guys are just bad news but we have lots of that stuff around us. It was just easier to pick on them to get my illustration out there. So we have priorities. God overrules God's ways. And we have to know God. We have to know what his ways are. We have to know his purposes and principles. Otherwise, we're not applying anything except our own feelings. So we've got to know what he's doing and what he values and this is what we actually do. This is humans. I'm not picking on you necessarily. But humans tend to do this. So that's priorities. But here's personal practice. Here's personal practice. We're going to put obligations, whatever those may be, whatever fears we have, fears of people, fears of situations, fears of government, fears whatever, ego, just look out for me. I've got to, in my feelings about things, one way or the other, or reason. I have, you know, thought this through. This is how I come up with what I come up with. All of that is above God. Those things are above God. Those are more important than God. Now, we wouldn't say that out loud. It's just that when we actually make a decision on something, we make a determination on value, principles, purposes, whether we're going to lie, whether we're angry, whether we lash out, whatever it is that we may be involved in, 
It usually goes that direction. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean. You know that one? Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So what do we do? We lean on our own understanding, our own feelings, our own opinions, or whatever group may be out there. Because if, see, if we're connected to some group, then we fear, oh, they wouldn't accept me if I believed this or I stood for this. Yeah, that's what happened to the neighbors of the Jewish people. They feared the other Germans. They feared the political situation. They feared... So if their Jewish neighbors disappeared, so what? So what? And you go, huh. Where and when do you do the right thing? Because it's the right thing. And because God has called us to live better than the Pharisees because we operate out of truth, out of right relationship, out of connectedness to him. And we live with a fullness of knowing he is on our side. What if bad things happen and we get thrown in a concentration camp like the family did? I mean, the, the ten booms are, are thrown in, in, into the cons, concentration camp and most of them die. They were willing to risk it to go do that, to, to, to try to save these people. So move to the other side of the veil and just imagine how God received them when they arrived because of what they had done. But they could have been like everyone else and said, well, you know, it's just uncomfortable. It's difficult. It's risky. So I don't think I'm going to help any Jewish people. Do the right thing. We just choose to do the right thing. But what drives us? Obligations, fears, ego, feelings, reason. We come up with all of the answers for how we're going to use our time, our money, our priorities, how we speak to people, how we deal with people on the road, how we deal with them at work, how we deal with them at school, how we deal with people in the home. Hmm. What's the right thing? Moral mountain, hierarchicalism. God first, God's way over any other. God's purposes and principles are supreme. So, Jesus' moral mountain. Oh, we get a bunch of them here. The priority of God in Jesus' decision-making. So he's, got, he's going to work through some of these. So uh, I've given you some scripture references here, but I'm, I'm going to just... Just do an outline. The disciples ate grain from the fields on the Sabbath. You'll find that in Matthew 12, verses 1 through 8. They are hungry. And Jesus says, go ahead and get the grain. So they go through the field and they're rubbing their hands together and they're getting the kernels and they're eating it. And they're seen eating it. So the Pharisees, the absolutists say, we can't do that. It's a Sabbath. You know, they're hungry. Mm, nope, because they're moral absolutists. That's the rule. You don't violate the rules no matter what. He says, well, don't you remember? 
That's what David did when he was hungry. He takes his guys in and they get some of the bread in the tabernacle and they eat. And it's only for the priests, but they violated that rule so that they could eat and that, that was fine. And for the moral absolutist, mm-mm. nope, the rule. He's saying there's something more important here. These guys are with me and the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath and they're hungry, and I say they can eat. Okay, so we have a change. But it's God first, God's way, God's purposes and principles. He's, he's handling this, so that's the priority of, of God in this thing. He healed a Roman centurion's servant. That's in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Jews aren't to hang out with Romans. They hated the Romans. Because, you know, they've been invaded. And the Romans are, they have soldiers stationed all around, so it's not a pleasant situation. And they're Gentiles, they're not Jewish. So they're questionable in their lifestyle, and there's just nothing about it that, that is positive and for any reason whatsoever. And Jesus up and heals a Roman centurion's servant. And he sees this as, here's somebody in need. Love people. How do you make God relevant to the world of people who don't know him? And Israel is supposed to be a light to the world. Israel, this body of people who, who follow the one true God, that was their role, was to be a light. And they were kind of mean to the people who came there. And there were rules about if the foreigner comes here, how you're supposed to be hospitable. And they were not because they're ticked off at the Romans. And there's some legit reasons for that. Jesus, however, approaches it differently. And he says, you know what? I think we have a better chance of a Roman centurion coming to know me, getting to know the one true God, if we treat him with kindness. We'll heal his servant. So he does. It's a higher uh, moral situation. He uh, paying Roman taxes in Mark twelve seventeen. He's paying Roman taxes. The uh, Zionist who wanted to get rid of the Romans at whatever it took. The others who who were supportive of just we want our country back with no Rome involved are. Uh, setting him up because they want him to say something that gets him in trouble with the Roman government. And he says, just pay your taxes. Just pay Caesar. Give Caesar what's due Caesar. But give God. There's the catch. Give God what's due God. What's that? His priority. His purposes. Love him with all you got. Love God. That was... There's just a... It's a hard thing. But here's Jesus the Son of God, on earth, saying here's a political situation that is a hotbed, and it's difficult, and I'm telling you, quit whining. You ever had a hard time with any political situation on earth? Quit whining, pay your dang taxes, and get it right with God. Try that. Just get it right with God. 
You know, when uh, you read through the scriptures and you come across things like, you know, if you're really anxious about things, that's really a sin. I'm worried. And, and the political situation is such that my life is going to, I can't believe how horrible this is. I'd be anxious for nothing. What? Have you read the papers? Lord, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication. Oh, yeah, right. Back to prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension enters in. Oh, I'm not experiencing that. Exactly. Yeah. We'll get ready for more not experiencing that, too. Be anxious for nothing. And everything by prayer and supplication, which means you have some kind of connection with the living God. God first. God's ways over everything. God's principles. God's purposes. And guess what? God's peace comes in. It's amazing. Try this one from John 11. Jesus allows Lazarus to die. I know the big push on the whole Lazarus story is the last two verses about Lazarus coming out. I want you to look at how many verses are there. 1 through 44. 43 and 44 deal with Lazarus coming out. What are the other verses about? What are the other verses about? They are so angry at Jesus for not getting there and keeping this from happening. That's what that's about. And he says, this happened because we're going to glorify God with this thing. Remember what we're talking about in the hierarchy. What's the hierarchy? Whatever I feel. Whatever my opinion is, whatever makes me happy, whoever gets to not ever be sick, ever face pain, whoever doesn't ever die, whoever that is in my family or my circle, that, that's the hierarchy. And Jesus is going, no, that isn't the hierarchy. And no, I didn't show up. He had to die. In order for this to happen, he had to die. Then he raises him, and lucky for Lazarus, he got to die again. Who wants to sign up for that one? Two times. And you go, wait a minute. The main point of all of this is that God's get, getting glory out of this situation, and he's dealing with these people who are so bent because they're friends with Jesus. He didn't make it go away. He didn't just pat them on the head. He didn't just always keep them in roses. What is going on? How can the friends of Jesus ever be treated in such a way? You want to discover how to walk with God in the world? This is it. You want to be a friend of God? Get ready for some correction, for discipline, for him to show his glory by running some really tough things by you.
If you're filled with anxiety and you don't trust him, you'll never know his peace. If you trust him and you seek him with all your heart, seek his priorities, seek his kingdom, not yours, his kingdom, then he brings all these other things into your life. That's how that works. We can miss it. Let's talk about application. Here's the issue. Should everyone have equal access? Everyone have equal access to your personal data. See, the whole thing of should everyone have equal access is we should have, this, this should just be one flat playing field and everyone has the opportunity to do everything that they want to do anytime they want to do it and we are all supposed to be yay, hallelujah, that is life, that, that's how humans should treat each other, that's the open door that we should have. And it's presented in many different ways. But I just want to ask the questions. What about your personal data? Should everyone have access to that? And you probably have some protections and some passwords on your stuff on your computer, some things that you put in a file that no, not everyone else has at your house. What about your medical records? They made a big law about that. HIPAA, which makes me wonder, because there's so many hip replacements, if that's related to that. <laughs> but medical records, your um, equal access to your house or your car or your business, why don't you just hang the keys on the front door so people can just use whatever they want whenever they want? Should everyone have equal access to everything all the time? And I know you're running this in your mind going, well, of course not. That's just stupid. The arguments in the world around us are yes. And if you have it, that person who doesn't should have access to yours. person in another country should have access to yours. person who doesn't have whatever it is should have access to yours. How did you get yours? Did you work for it? Did you... Uh, spend time, energy, walking with God to go to your job to earn it, but somebody just equal, they just get it. Mm. There's a problem. How about people who signed a document said, I want to go to school, they got to go to school. They have a, a loan, and now they're supposed to repay it, just like any other loan. You repay the loan you agreed to. But somebody comes along and says, no, they shouldn't have to do it. It's a flat, just flat playing field. They should just get that for free. But they agreed. They got the product. They got the service. But now they don't have to pay because it should just be, see the problem? That's not only wrong, it's immoral. I'll get to why that is. We have a reason for the things that we have and the protections that we have on them. Should everyone have equal access? What about the security of the United States? What about secret documents? What about uh, fences 
around certain places in the military or levels of security that are applied to military installations or military personnel or what you have access to. We, we need boundaries that protect certain areas. We need boundaries around uh, our country. We need the um, uh, need to know. There are people who need to know certain information and other people definitely don't need to know. We had a couple of Navy personnel recently share uh, some important information with the Chinese who are not on the best terms with us as a country. Is that a good thing? Well, it's just a flat plane. We should all have equal access. No, we shouldn't. And God never said, boy, that's the way to do it. Y'all need to do that with everybody. Nope. We need to be able to handle the things that are coming our way. And, and there's things that, that are handed to us that we should be able... Uh, we need to be at a level so that we can handle it. And some things are... Uh, uh, it's just going to be tough. Jesus said, don't... Uh, I ha- well, he said, I have more to share with you. There's more I want to tell you, but you're not able to handle it yet. So... He knew, and this is after three years of training, walking side by side with Jesus, three years. And he goes, you guys can't handle this yet. There's more. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to teach you. He'll take you further. But you can't handle it yet. So why is it that we think this thing should be, be, everybody should know everything. Everybody gets everything. It should be just equal all the time. Ah. God didn't make it that way. What about media, books, movies, music? Should it all just be, you know, everything goes. Say whatever you want, anytime you want, and everybody has equal access. Uh, Probably not. When the movies first started, back in the day, they didn't have any limits on that. So everything was just, could be shown. Then they came along and they went, whoa, that's a little much. A little too sexy on that part. I mean, this is early 1900s. You'd think this didn't exist. But that's when the rules came in. And then later we had the GPG, you know, all the different levels of, for movies. We also have that for books. Can every kid handle everything in every book? And should we just level? Everyone has equal access to everything. No. No, you don't get to do that. That's not how that works. Can you handle it? Got to be able to handle it. What's healthy? What's helpful? What's hurtful? What's harmful? We have to determine some things. Is God honored in this? Or we just say, everything goes. Because aren't we clever? And we wind up in a great deal of hurt. But doing things like that. We don't need people being exposed to a whole lot of things. They don't need to listen to that kind of music. They don't need to watch those kind of movies. They don't need to have that kind of input. Remember the old computer garbage in, garbage out? So we just fill our brains with garbage. And we go, see, just equal access. It's all because we can process it because we can handle this. 
And the reality is we know we can't and our brains can't. And there's a dark spot that starts and they can measure it and watch that thing shut down as a depression as these different areas of the brain start to lock up. And they go, wow, maybe if we listen to God and go his way and fill our lives with those thoughts where the anxiety is not taking over and we're listening to him and we love God with all we are and we seek his purposes, his kingdom, not ours, things begin to change in our brains and our systems and our colons. It's all of it. We don't have time to get into where you find that. But anyway, <laughs> another application issue. Should a person's freedom ever be violated? I mean, I get to do whatever I want whenever I want to do it. And we're talking about morals, mystery of moral mountain. Should a f- person's freedom ever be violated? Let's see, the irresponsible. Don't work, don't eat. That's the biblical principle. You don't, you don't get up and work, you're not supposed to eat. People aren't supposed to just have a kid living in the basement and keep feeding that kid till he's 38 years old because he doesn't want to work. He just wants to play video games. Sorry, irresponsible. What about drunk driving? Oh, that's okay. Irresponsible. So what happens? What what happens in these situations? Well, you don't work, you lose the freedom to have food. Okay, that limits. You know, should should that person's freedom ever be violated? Biblically, yeah. What about drunk driving? Well, it's killing people. Probably ought not to do that. So the freedom is, you know, lose your license, you lose your car, go to jail, something happens. The immature, well, shouldn't we allow, because this is a flat thing, you know, we allow everybody to do whatever, equal access. So should their freedom ever be violated? So a five-year-old driving their car to kindergarten is perfectly fine. They go, no, they're immature. Right. How many other immature things do we face in human life? So we got to pull that thing back and go, yeah, you lose your freedom. You don't have the freedom. You haven't earned it yet. There's things that have to happen. That's part of the process. What about the abuser? Any limits on that guy or that woman? No, that's fine because, you know, that's how he feels. That's his opinion. He can just lash out in anger and words and, and physically and whatever they choose to do. No. There are limits. Limits on abusing, on bullying. There are social pressures. We don't need more cartels or gangs. Limits. Should a person's freedom ever be violated? Yeah, those guys should be in jail. What about the thief? Yeah. Scripture's really clear. You get, if you stole, you needed bread and go, okay, that's fine. You need, you're hungry, you needed bread, you stole it. Now you replace it seven times. Okay. What if you don't do that? Well, in jail, <laughs> we, got, we got some way of dealing with it. But there's limits, limitations on those things. It's not just flat, y'all can do whatever. What about the murderer? Yeah, taking another human's life, you, um, you violate that and you're 
life is the cost as well. So, yeah, should a person's freedom ever be violated? Yeah. So where are we getting all of this? Is it the relativism or the absolutist version of this thing? Or is it it's a hierarchy and this is God's truth and God trying to put deal with the chaos that humans bring and other beings to this world? And he's trying to bring order and he's trying to bring something that is much more safe and something that can produce peace and productivity and, a, and life. That's what he's trying to do. But it requires morality. This is the world's version of things and how Isaiah spoke to it back in the day. Isaiah 520, the world. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. Take a little time, look around, read a few articles, even today, and whatever's on the internet, I guarantee you it'll be one of these. It'll be flipped. Whatever the truth is, whatever the reality is, whatever, however the, the news is reporting things will be showing something that will be calling evil good, good evil. If you're a believer, um, and if you're holding to, to the truth of Scripture, you're... Your life in, in many places and even in America is going to be threatened because this is a reality. And God's saying, just don't. Stick to what is good. Stick to the light. So the moral mountain. When human laws and ideas conflict with God, God's purposes and principles, God and his ways supersede. When human laws and ideas conflict with God, God's purposes and principles, God and his ways supersede. Always and forever. It's always been that way. He is looking out for his people, his people on earth. He's trying to bring us into, this, into the kingdom of heaven. He wants us to live life better here, to experience his fullness here. So even when you get the wrong textbook and you stood in the long lines at OSU, he will, in answer to prayer, bring you the right one because he cares. And he cares about us. And he wants us to experience the fullness in this day. And it requires doing the right thing. Let's pray. Lord, we are human, but we are members of your family, which makes us something different. I pray, Lord, that we would actually trust you with all our heart, not lean on our own understanding, not rebel against you with our feelings and opinions, not hold on to the ways of the world around us, which is calling evil good and good evil, but Lord, that we would stand with you. No matter what, we stand with you. With you, with your ways, with your purposes and priorities. And Lord, I'm going to allow everyone here to speak or say in their heart,
I agree. In Jesus' name, amen.
The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. 